Hey everyone, and welcome to Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And I am not alone today in the studio. And by studio, I mean Zencaster browser. Not just because <laughs> you're here, Adam. Like no, we have, we have company. We do have company. We have company coming to us from The Renegades, Talking Valiant, a podcast all about Valiant stuff. Uh, like Exo Mano War, and uh, I don't know Faith. I don't read yeah. a lot of value. Oh shoot, no, I read Rye. Rye's freaking great. Have you read Rye, Adam? I have not. I'm behind on my Valiant comics by about 25 years. So, Clayton uh... Crane draws a like future ninja. It's fabulous. Ooh, I'm uh, but that. we're not talking. Wait, no, future ninjas with a arc of X Factor before the one we're talking about. Yeah, uh, no Cyber Eye. No. <laughs> Cyber Eye. Uh, no. Uh, but instead of Cyber Eye, we have uh, Brett Simon. Brett, how we doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming. Now, uh, we're just going to jump in because, guys, behind the scenes, we spent like 15 minutes trying to figure out some technical issues that <laughs> have just been ridiculous. And I have a whole gag planned in like five minutes that you'll understand why I'm frustrated that it's been taking so long and getting so <laughs> warm. But anyway, uh, Brett, you have uh, selected a, uh, a whole thing, whole episode based on a story that you, you, uh, you pitched in the whole Patreon situation. And Brett, what's this story? What are we starting with here? Uh, so we are starting with a story that is uh, a little bit controversial, to say the least. Uh, a lot was said before it happened, a lot was said as it happened, and now a lot's been said after it's happened. And that story is Inhumans versus X-Men. Ay ay ay. So look, if we're going to talk about Inhumans versus X-Men, there's something I need to do. All right. You hear that? <laughs> That's the sound of an adult beverage being opened. <laughs> I didn't now, realize we actually... <laughs> toasting. Oh. I don't know if toasting is the right word, but I think this is going to be a necessity to talk about <laughs> Inhumans versus X-Men. This right. was a six-part plus zero-issue story uh, that came out in late 2006, early 2007. Uh, it was co-written by Charles Soule and Jeff Lemire, Penciled by uh, Leneo Francis Yu for about three issues, Kenneth Rockefort for the uh, zero issue, and Javier Garon uh, for a, like three issues in the middle. Before we went on air, Brett, why don't we, we start with your take? Because you said you reread this recently and you had a, a, a kinder uh, reflection on it. Is that your takeaway? Yeah, uh, actually. So I, I first read uh, IVX as it was coming out. Um, Actually, a friend lent me the issues. And when I first read it, I was not uh, over fond of it. But when I reread it, I actually found some things that I liked about it that I didn't really remember. And um, yeah, I still 
don't think it's my favorite X-Men story, but there are some things about it that I like more than I remembered. So for the people who wouldn't know about IVX, I just want to jump in here. This was the capstone of about a year and a half of X-Men stories coming out of Secret Wars. Uh, This is a... After after Secret Wars, the Inhumans Terrigen Mist Cloud uh, saturated the atmosphere. It was it got mutated and it caused a virus in mutants called Mpox, and it was killing killing off mutants, causing a lot of anti mutant sentiment and making life for the X Men just hell. Like they had to move to literal hell to uh, survive to get away with it. So. It caused a lot of issues. Cyclops died from it, which, you know, Cyclops fans are not thrilled about that. <laughs> uh, and it just... Also, Jamie Madrox fans. Sorry, guys. Yeah. But he was on a farm anyway. He's effect, effectively nothing changed about his status quo. But uh, because of that, the Inhumans and the X-Men eventually go to war. And this is the story of that war and what happens. The whole thing kind of gets more instigated by emma frost and there's some very interesting story decisions that we are not going to leave undiscussed but brett please at this juncture tell us what you liked about this rereading it a second yeah, time. great question so i think first and foremost i gotta say the art was great i mean even the first time i read it i was a fan of the art so that didn't change but what i think i really liked about ivx this time when i read it was the setup was really well done. The first like two issues, two and a half issues, I felt like set the stage very, very well. Uh, you know, kind of laid out the situation. Um, you know, like like you were saying, Zach, like, hey, these are the X-Men, these are the Inhumans. Uh, the Inhumans are excited because the Terrigen is creating new Inhumans. The X-Men are frightened because the Terrigen is killing them. They want to try to reach some sort of a solution and then there's a ticking clock because beast realizes that you know they're they only have so much time before the terrigen cloud uh basically explodes and then there's nowhere they can hide from it so i felt like that setup was really awesome and kind of put the x-men in this position where they had to make a lot of choices very quickly and i also felt like as i was reading uh in humans versus x-men despite having a ridiculously huge cast that it still balanced the cast pretty well. Uh, I'm a big Magneto fan. Uh, Magneto got some cool moments. Emma Frost got some cool moments. Uh, Storm did some stuff. So overall, uh, that was something else I liked. And um, yeah, I thought those were kind of some of the some of the positives. Also, some of the dialogue was was pretty good. So I'll I'll throw that out there too. I think you bring up the two points that I. Uh... I liked the most about this story. Number one is, you know, absolutely the art. Kenneth Rockefeller on zero, and especially Lenio Francis Yu, when he steps up to the plate, it's gorgeous. And I will tell you what, the uh, the colors on this, and I am a bad person and don't have the uh, colorist up <laughs> at this exact moment. Uh, we're going to... Uh, it's David Curiel. David it's Curiel, cool. that's exactly right. Yeah, yep. Curiel's colors fantastic and javier garon who's an artist i really like obviously he's a little rushed in these issues it feels like he is doing some fill-in stuff uh i think it's great i just want to add another little wrinkle to this story because i feel like 
coming out of Secret Wars, this particular Terrigen angle had been lingering around in the Marvel Universe even before Secret Wars because this was a, a concept that actually started back in the Infinity crossover um, and sort of got elevated in, in the post-Secret Wars. But I think we would be remiss, and, and we can get into more specifics, right? You know, because I, I don't want to belabor this too much. But this um, particular crossover and Death of X before it really did seem like from an editorial perspective, like there were uh, trolling X fans a little bit. Um, there was this whole idea about the movie rights to the X franchise, to X movies coming out that perhaps the Marvel universe was, or, or the Marvel as a company was less interested in publishing the X-Men in general. Um, and that somehow they were going to like replace the X-Men with the Inhumans. So there's an element of that trolling in both of those minis that I think maybe turned X-Fans off to these series before they could even happen. Um, and I, I think that's worth noting before we get into some more specifics about this story. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It definitely played to some of the fears that X-Fans had. Well, whether those fears were... Uh justified or conspiracy theories brought on by the fact that X fans always feel persecuted is an entire different thing, but no, mm -hmm. they were, they were definitely playing into uh, some of that stuff. Yeah. To I, I agree 100%. I mean, it was a, it was a rough couple of years there to be an X-Men fan. I feel like from just before secret wars up through about, you know, the start of golden blue. So this is kind of like the, also the capstone of that era in in some ways i felt like there were certain things that were done in this story that were trying to be mea culpas to uh to the x fans and kind of saying hey yeah we know uh some of the stuff hasn't been great but hey we're gonna give you this story and try to throw in some cool moments and it's gonna open up uh the next phase of the story with the whole back to basics approach with uh with gold and blue well until and I, we've already been talking about the story for about eight minutes now. So should we get into the big until in the part that uh, kind of drives this entire story off a cliff and into a burning pit? Oh, you mean the, the, the villainization of one of my favorite characters? Well, before we get into the Emma Frost heel turn, um, which is a huge, huge punch in the gut at the end of this. Um, and really, it's, you know, if you go through the whole series, it's there. But all right, before we get to that, I just want to note that the entire conflict here does get muted a bit by the fact that in the sixth issue of this, there is a pair of panels where Medusa basically admits after she's got some more information about what the Terrigen cloud has been doing to the mutants, that she is more than willing to go along with the X-Men's plan. If everybody in this situation had just like taken two seconds to talk to each other, there would be no battle. And so it takes the uh, the air out of the tires a little bit, um, you know, that we have this like, you know, supposedly huge crossover battle event that I don't know, the stakes feel reduced a little bit. And then on top of that, I know, Zach, you probably just want to go on a rant about Emma. So oh, let's get I, into can I say one thing quickly about the your your point there, Adam. Please yeah, do. I, I agree. And actually, I, I took yeah. some notes while I was rereading um, this comic and the others that we're going to discuss today. But one of one of the notes I, I wrote down was literally, but why couldn't they talk this out? Probably would force the Inhumans to admit their beliefs are more important <laughs> than mutant lives, except for Medusa. Yeah, and I I think I think we uh, we dug into this a bit when we talked about 
uh, that first extraordinary X-Men crossover with this, uh, we, mm-hmm. we jumped into the fact that the entire conflict feels ridiculous because this is unlike, say, a Civil War two or not Civil War two. Civil War two is bad. <laughs> uh, unlike a Civil War where you can agree and understand with both sides. There's an obvious good guy and bad guy in this story to the point where the young and, you know, less indoctrinated, less uh, conservative in humans essentially look around and say, guys, I think we're the baddies. I think we're wrong here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's ridiculous because obviously Medusa knew about the situation. Obviously Medusa was aware that it was killing people, but it only gets to the point of, oh, it's going to kill literally everyone and there's nothing we can do about it. Does she decide to take action? And that's a real step too far. That's real late in the situation. Yeah. Um, and then it happens immediately before we get to Emma using Sentinels. And, oh, gosh, uh, Emma, girl, oh girl, my girl, girl, baby girl, come on. What are you? Can I do my rant first? Please, please do. <laughs> Go for it. Rant away. Because I feel like I feel like we're going to get three versions <laughs> of the same rant, but I think that's appropriate here. I love Jeff Lemire. I've said it before. Jeff Lemire is probably my favorite working writer in comics. And I really do enjoy Charles Soule. I think he's an excellent writer. But the way that they take Emma doesn't track. I am fine with Emma being an antagonist. I'm fine with her being villainous. That follows a you know pretty clear path of what she's done in the past, what she has done even as a hero on the X-Men she is allowed to do things that the other X-Men would find distasteful. That's not my issue here. My issue here is that in a series of panels, they turn Emma Frost into a mass-murdering genocide girl who is using the very weapons that she has been tormented with and her entire, like, mutant life. And I cannot, for the life of me, wrap my mind around that. It's not earned. If you want to make Emma a villain, if you want to make Emma a megalomaniac, fine. Do that. You own the property, Marvel. But you've got to do enough to build the story around it. And it's hard for me to grok that the Emma in Death of X and the Emma in the first six issues of this book is the same Emma that is going to go around and say, I'm going to murder all of you. It Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't track someone else. Please rant for a little bit. I need to drink. I I, I agree with everything (laughs) you've, you've said there, Zach. I I think you laid out uh, the points very, very well. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame how it was handled, especially because there's that scene where I think it's rogue turns to Emma and says, hey, we uh, destroyed all the Terrigen Mists so we don't have to fight anymore. And then Emma's like, nah, we still got to kill them. And that just felt, I don't know, it felt wrong because I've always seen Emma Frost as a very practical person. Uh, She's someone who doesn't take needless Mm -hmm. risks. And it just seemed sort of over the top for her. I don't know. It just it left a really bad taste in my mouth. And another thing I didn't like was the really stupid pseudo Cyclops costume they gave her at the end. Oh, that, that costume, that costume is so bad that it only ever appeared once outside of that panel. It appeared in a modified version 
on the cover of Secret Empire United number one or Uprising, whatever one was mm-hmm. the new Tion one. Uh, but they even modified it and took off the dumb helmet. And then by the time that cover made it to the stands, it was only ever solicited with Emma on it. They they changed it to the Bachelor of Magic and said, we're going to we're going to edit this and we're going to forget this costume ever happened. Love you, Laniel Francis, you. Oh. But between this and your revolutions era 2000s X-Men costumes, maybe don't be a costume designer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the bottom line is that this all just feels completely out of character for Emma. Um, You know, she's known for being incredibly intelligent and calculating. And the way that we're, you know, that they're they're positioning her here is is if she's like, you know, Silver Age X-Men villain. And it just doesn't track. It doesn't make sense. Um, it's not believable. And I feel like the character has been in flux ever since this uh, this mini came out. And I'm, I'm really hoping that they they figure it out because I, I am disappointed that it got further, you know, disrupted by Secret Empire. And, uh, you know, I know Bun is going to be bringing her in to wrap up X-Men Blue. Um, and I hope that that does a little bit of course correction here because Emma deserves better. You know, this this just does not make sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, Bun was just on the show a couple episodes back. But even before mm-hmm. that, I would I would have to say that the way he's been handling Emma in the last couple of arcs and including this, uh, you know, this Magneto versus Emma X-Men Blue arc. I've really enjoyed seeing that. Like, that's a villainous, but that's a villainous Emma I can get behind. So, well, yeah. And to be clear, like. I'm cool with her being a villain. That's fine. But if she's going to be a villain, she still has to be the same character. And, you know, frankly, it's just not believable that she would do some of the things that she's doing here for whatever the motivation is that they claim that she does it. So, all right. I think that that's probably a good opportunity for us to get into ranking here. So, um, our IVX tie-in that we have on our list is Extraordinary X-Men 17, which is at number 70. Oh, we put um, that way higher than I remember. Worse... Well, because that IVX tie-in is a really good um, standalone story about Storm um, comforting a, a dying girl in uh, the camp at, in Limbo at the refugee camp. So that's a pretty good yeah. standalone story that uh, I think some of the tie-ins in IVX are probably better than IVX is. Yeah. Uh, has that whole thing um, with Phantom X uh, becoming the world that never yeah. went anywhere. No, that was fun. All right. So where do we want so to put this what on I the would list? Say, and I, I think Brett, you brought this up earlier. The first two issues, issue zero and issue one are fabulous. They are some of the best X-Men stuff that had happened in that era. Those two issues are a fist pumping, like, yes, I care about these characters. I care about their journey. I buy into this. You mm-hmm. get excited by that. Then there's like, let's call it five issues, four issues of, we have to, there's four issues of act two that range from fine to blah. But nothing, nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. It's the X-Men fight the Inhumans, and then they set up for the big fight at the end. And then issue six is one of my least favorite X-Men comics of all time. So I am, I am mixed. <laughs> I think this is worse than uh, number 70, uh, which is Extraordinary X-Men 17. Oh, definitely. Uh, 
Definitely. I'm I'm looking down to some stuff. Uh, Brett, have you read Deadly Genesis? Uh, yeah, I have read Deadly Genesis, the one by Ed Brubaker with uh, the introduction of Vulcan. Yeah, yeah, with, with the third Summers brother, yep. who's a space jerk. How... <laughs> How do, you, how do you feel about this compared to Deadly Genesis? Ooh, good question. Which is a controversial topic on this particular podcast. Yeah. One of us likes it a lot less. So it's it's funny. I actually kind of liked Deadly Genesis, and maybe that's just because Brubaker is one of my favorite uh, writers in comics just in general. But I think almost certainly Deadly Genesis is better <laughs> than IVX. I mean, it's a well-put-together story. It has a pretty good progression. Yeah, there's some random nonsense that's thrown in but i think it's a story that fundamentally respects what the x-men are okay I can buy that. I, all right i i think deadly genesis probably edges out too um but uh i i like where you're looking on the list zach it has a strong start it has a terrible terrible finish um i i can see this going below even no more humans um oh yeah this is below no more you know what looking down this list i think this is probably worse than the new mutants fall of the mutants stuff like i don't like bird boy oh i don't yeah death of doug um i would say it's better than poptopia though would you would you agree i mean i feel like the emma character assassination is one thing but um like i, I don't know that story was just like completely a non-entity for me um why did we put Poptopia above Heroes for Hope? Um, <laughs> that seems like a mistake on our part. I don't know. There, there's probably, yeah. Well, we're going to get into I'm sure we had a reason. Yeah. I'm sure we had a reason. Uh, Brett, do you have any opinions on either the New Mutants Fall of the Mutant stuff or Poptopia? I don't think I've ever actually read either one. Okay. Uh, you're not missing much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do you think about this being our new 113, uh, Zach? Does that work for you? I think... I think there's going to be some people who are surprised that it is not in that bottom five area. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the here's the honest truth. First two issues are really good. The art's really good throughout. Mm -hmm. The last issue is a dumpster fire. And if we were only ranking the last issue, I would have a lot. That would that would be right near the Draco and God Loves Man Kills Two and all that stuff. But. All right. I think because because of that, it can be our new number one thirteen. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think that's a good place for it right now on the list. Um, so we're looking um, when we do episodes, we always are looking for things that are in similar veins. So we looked for another story that had both X Men and Inhumans in it, and our, our next natural progression was to go to X Factor Endgame. Um, which I'm very fond of. Um, <laughs> I really like this story quite a bit because um, I remember buying it when it came out. And I don't know if it's aged that well, but um, I sure the heck enjoy it. Yeah, this is X Factor 65, 66, and 67, written, co-written by Jim Lee, Will Spartacio, and Chris Claremont, which is quite a team. Uh, Portacio does the pencils. Uh, Art Thieber does the inks and uh, Glennis Oliver does the colors. So like that's a stacked, that's a stacked team right there. Just a quick correction. We do go to issue 68 in this storyline because that's the important we one. We go to 68 on the, yeah. oh my gosh. That's the important uh, The Marvel one. Wikia lied to me. Like Ooh. I've read all this. I agree. 
Uh, but the Marvel Wikia was like, oh, it only goes up to 67. So those are only all of the tabs I opened. You ain't wrong. Oh, no. You you needed 68 um, for this one. I had never read this story before. But I feel like if I just read 67, I would have had to have read 68 to know how everything finished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you've got to. It's a, it's a huge, huge moment for X-Men in general. Now, Brett, you had not read this story before. What's your what's your take? What's your first thoughts? Let's let's pass it over to you. Sure. So I liked this story overall. There was a little bit of overwriting in a few places, but I mean, I've I've read enough Claremont to be you know somewhat somewhat used to that. But there were some kind of small things about it that I really liked. That um, you know, I, I I might as well lay out here. One thing I really liked about it was uh, there was an anti team set up to fight against X Factor and. I love. Are we talking about the Dark Riders here? Yeah. Are we talking Dark about the Riders? Dark Riders? I, I love <laughs> when there are stories where there's like a team and you have like five people. You know, there's like the, the gunslinger, the swordsman, you know, the brawler, et cetera. And then they have an enemy team that they fight that's kind of like dark reflections of them or is people who have different powers that kind of counter theirs. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, hey, Adam, 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 since you love this story so much, I do have to ask you. Yeah. Can you name the Dark Riders? Like oh geez okay I'm not memory, looking at the page from okay, memory on. Um, the dark riders okay uh, gauntlet yes uh, fox bat yes <laughs> uh, tusk tusk my boy um mainframe mainframe is later mainframe isn't here yet wait is mainframe oh here? I don't who's, mainframe who's, sounds like he could be a dark rider but I don't know if wait, that's or actually is it one. Car- hardwire hard drive there's um, hard drive hard drive that's it that's the one hard drive that's the little computer system that that hacks into ship um oh geez who am i forgetting uh i'm there's the psychic who's the psychic i can't think of the psychic there's sorry and there is barrage yeah i just kind of like their leader boy he's he's the gun gun hands yes not yep not the best gun handing having person that uh that a Chris Claremont ever created because there is a guy when he talks about the Neo whose power is just having gun hands and it's great. Hey, now, 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 Brett, what, what else Um, did you like beyond the dark riders who are kind of delightful and kind of dumb? They're the right nineties mix of delightful and dumb. Yeah. Gotta, gotta love some of those nineties characters. Yeah. uh, Another thing I liked about it was Cyclops was just really inspiring and kind of was kind of like was a, um, like a Cyclops prime, you know, it was everything you wanted from Cyclops. He had the good leadership qualities. He gave rousing speech. He had a lot of, you know, badass moments and saved everybody and really gave him himself to succeed. So that was something I, I really enjoyed. Um, something else that I liked about this story, given that I've never read a single X factor comic before this, but it's something I, I definitely need to change was that there was a decent amount of exposition, but given that I'm jumping in after 65 plus issues of story it was actually kind of welcome. I felt like, oh, okay, I can sort of figure out what's going on. I don't really need to go back and read issues, you know, one through 64 to really have a good understanding. I'm like, yeah, I know who this person is. I know who that person is. Oh, okay. This is why this guy is here. Yeah. I think, I think they do a great job uh, setting up this story because this does work as a good, you know, you know, four issue, uh, four or five issue block. Part of that I think has to come from the fact that this is a, pretty new team of writers i mean simonson had just left the book on the last arc and while portacio was drawing in that and helping out with some of the mm-hmm. storytelling 
you know, Claremont has to get a grasp on these characters that he hasn't written for what eight eight years or something like that. So there's there's a while to it. Uh, what yeah. this story is for people who don't recognize it just by reputation, this is the story where the Dark Riders, led by their Lord and Master Apocalypse, steal Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring of Scotty Sun Summers. He doesn't have all those titles yet, but we're getting there. We're getting so close. We're getting close. He's just Nathan Christopher Charles Summers right now. He'll get the Ascani Sun by the end of this, and then Dayspring mm-hmm. a little bit later. Uh, but Cable gets sent into the future because he gets infected by Apocalypse with a techno-organic virus, and the X-Men and the Inhumans go to come and save him, but they're too late, and Scott has to make just the hardest choice he's made since he had to leave his wife and son for this outcome, I guess. Yeah. And this is also kind of the culmination of what started with um, fall of the mutants when we had apocalypse and the, um, the horsemen attack New York city and turn Warren into archangel, because at least superficially in this story, and of course he's going to come back, but it looks like Scott has completely decimated apocalypse by the time this story is over. Um, yeah, that's the thing Porticio does best in this. Oh, yeah. Because he kills the heck out of Apocalypse, <laughs> and it looks very nice. Well, I think I've talked on the show before about liking Will's Porticio's art. I always have. I think this uh, arc is some of my favorite stuff that he's ever done, um, especially the first and the last issues of this arc, because there's there's a little bit of stuff in the middle that feels like filler. You know, like, did we defeat the Dark Riders? Now we got to defeat them again. Um, let's get the inhumans evolved because we're on the dark uh you know the dark side of the moon um, blue area yeah, blue, blue area, area excuse me that dark side is a uh pink floyd album adam I'm get- you should know that it's very popular my, my apologies uh so i just remember this particular arc being such a big deal when it came out um you know it felt so major that cyclops was giving away nathan and you know we were really getting telegraphed very hard that this was going to be cable. You know, we knew from new mutants that uh, I think it was revealed in new mutants or, or maybe it was by the time X-Force comes out that his name was Nathan. And on the last page where we have the watcher, there is a panel that features cable in one of these little shards of glass. And I think, you know, readers were starting to put those, those pieces together and going, wow, this is kind of cool. What's going on here. Um, and it wouldn't be confirmed until we get to Executioner's song, but um, really some cool stuff happening. Yeah, it's a it's a fun way to uh, do this. There's a lot of exciting things happening here. I would agree that kind of that middle section gets boring. Like, I'm not sure they needed to bring in the Inhumans on this one because they don't do much. Apocalypse has just enslaved half the Inhumans or something like that. And also half of the Dark <laughs> Riders or the Riders of the Storm, depending on what issue you're reading them in, uh, are in humans. So it's a, it has some ups, it has some downs, but I really do enjoy Apocalypse in this. I think, uh, Brett, you are absolutely right. Scott is written so well in this. This is a very good Cyclops story. And I like that a lot. 
Yeah, it gives um, Claremont an opportunity to kind of come back to these characters. And, you know, he does get to do his his final X-Men 1, 2, 3 story. But this is this is similar. Um, and he, he's still in an awkward spot because you can tell that the story is still being guided um, by the artwork and behind the scenes by by Wilson, Jim, who are plotting this thing out in anticipation of X-Men 1, 2 and 3, um, you know, trying to get these guys to hit the reset button a little bit. But the way this wraps up is tremendous. Yeah, it's, I it's think a, it's fantastic. It's a cool story. I'm I'm glad that you guys picked it out for this episode, so I would have a uh, a reason to go out and read it because I don't know if I would have uh, would have found it otherwise. Here's the thing: no one tells you about X Factor. Uh, X Factor is actually pretty good for a really long time. Yeah, and yeah, especially it, the Simonson run is fantastic. Yeah, it's great, and then it hits about issue 100, and then it gets real bad for a while. Oh. Like, I don't know if anyone um, read the late, like, the Jeff Matsuda and uh, who was the Howard Mackie X Factor. Not good. Oh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. But, yeah, this is interesting, fun story. Uh, where are we thinking on the list? Because here's, here's what I think. I think Apocalypse in this might be the best Apocalypse has ever done. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is the best Apocalypse story because i don't think this is as good as that x-factor fall of the mutants well we've got x-factor fall of the mutants at 13 yeah we got Um, that real high yeah i don't think we're that high however i think we could be in the top 25 here um depending on on your taste there zach um i just think that this is a really pivotal x moment um this idea of of sending nathan christopher into the future is i mean it's staggering. And it's something that, you know, I think other comics maybe like aspire to have like this level of <laughs> complexity to them that then doesn't get solved for years down the line in, in between books. So um, I don't know. I'm a big fan of this. So here's uh, what we've got around what you had said. Number yeah. 25 is Uncanny Avengers Avenge the Earth. Oh, that's a great arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friggin' yeah. right. Yeah, we, we love that one. It's so good. It's got a weird team. It's got some weird time travel stuff. It's got a very good explosion. It's got Magneto. I mean, what it's else? Oddly do you want? comparable. It does have. <laughs> it does have Mister Lencher doing some stuff. Right under that, we have Astonishing X Men Dangerous, and yeah. right under that, we have what I think is an oddly comparable story to what you're saying in Storm and Ileana Magic, which is mm-hmm. a pivotal X Men story a good X-Men story, but possibly not like one of the best X-Men stories. Yeah. I think just looking at, um, at the range here, I think if I was just going to slot it in all by myself, I would put it right below Inferno new mutants, um, which is another like hugely pivotal end to a character arc. Cause I do think that this is better than X. I don't, um, which, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> which I have a lot of affinity for, but I'll be, I'm willing to get talked down. Um, Cause I'm also of the mind that avenge the earth is like one of my favorite things ever. So um, what do you think about maybe slotting it in between Avenger avenge the earth and dangerous? Brett, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you weigh in on this because I've gotta I've gotta compose myself because this feels like a very pivotal conversation. What wait, which which arc is dangerous? Dangerous is the second arc of uh, Astonishing X Men where danger appears. 
Oh, that's a good arc too. I mean, all of Astonishing is so good. Oh gosh. I mean, I don't know that this story is quite that good, but it's pretty up there. I think I agree for the reasons I previously stated. Also, Adam, you're nuts if you think this is better than X Club. <laughs> I like this. I, You know I love X Club, but I do like this better. But I think a lot of this is uh, being colored by my, my nostalgia. So it's got to. where do you want to put it? If I if I had my druthers, I would yeah. put it either right above or right below Storm and Ileana Magic because I think this is probably okay. better than the Jeff Johns Morlock series. Mm-hmm. But I am really struggling to put it above Astonishing X Men Dangerous, which frankly, Astonishing X Men is a touchstone X Men series for me, just like this this sure. is for you. So I've got I've got that same nostalgia kind of weighing against it i i want to plug it above magic okay i'm fine with that. um you cool with that i am absolutely cool as a cucumber about that all right magic is good x factor Endgame. x factor endgame is yeah. also good yeah. it's our new number 27 on this list nice showing nice showing and we've got one more story yes sir this story does not have less any inhumans in it as far as i know no, but it does involve a uh, mutant killing virus that lasted for, when I counted, eight solid years of continuity. Holy cow. Well, not only that, this, like like IVX, and Brett, I believe you were bringing this up a bit earlier, is kind of clearing the, clearing the table, kind of getting everything mm-hmm. ready for the next big thing. This is Uncanny X-Men 390. Uh, it is called The Cure. And the big thing here is the legacy virus goes away, but at the cost of Colossus's life, which, by the way, that science don't make any sense. <laughs> that, really? that doesn't make any sense at all. But what happens, I think, in two issues from here, uh, two issues from here is that real, real bad, uh, what's it called? Uh, Evo Destruction. destruction. Right after that is uh, New X-Men and the Uncanny X-Men stuff. The falls it so this is getting ready for the grant morrison era and they said let's get mm-hmm. rid of the legacy virus that's been sitting around for too long just like getting rid of mpox getting everything ready for you know the resurrection era uh so this is i mean that's the summary there's a virus colossus stabs himself in the chest with a needle and he dies but all the mutants are cured of the legacy virus Brett, had you uh, had you I read had this? I had never before? read this, and thus, uh, like the previous story, I liked that some of the opening narrative gave me uh, lots of context about what was going on. Yeah, here's the thing: right before this issue was the Chris Claremont second era of X Men, and that I just read like two weeks ago. That's a bad, bad situation. So Scott Lobdell <laughs> jump on here with Salvador La Roca. Who I like, I like Salvador La Roca. I like a lot of Scott Lobdell's writing. Uh, yeah, art's good. They come in do a do a one shot that does some interesting things. Definitely, uh, definitely some weird stuff. It does have the X Men like playing basketball or something, which I know they did in the nineties, but it's still so hard for me to uh, imagine them doing. <laughs> yeah base, basketball in the right. 90s versus baseball everywhere else they do play some baseball in the 90s too um classic x-men always playing sports together 
yeah, we get a little hijinks there. And Professor X even comes out in his hover chair and and, and, and plays a little bit, which I think is fantastic. Um, the part that just does not make sense, and I don't think that it ever really made sense, is um, the explanation of the spread of the legacy virus. Um, they even name drop AIDS in here, which really, you know, like, you know, we're not talking about this correctly if we're not also talking about HIV. Um, they talk about the difference between the legacy virus and AIDS and then how it's all just magically going to go away. And it doesn't make any sense. Like you said, Zach, um, you know, his basic idea is that it became airborne because someone died. So to get the cure to spread magically to all of mutant kind, someone has to inject themselves with the cure and die. What kind of, you know, tortured logic really makes this somehow become realistic? I, I just don't understand it. Um, it doesn't make sense. And when it happens, it's, it's still again, very confusing. Like the guys are playing basketball um, Colossus injects himself with this stuff. And then I guess like the roof explodes or something. And Gambit's like, look, it's Colossus's uh, power energy signature. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, like um, last time I checked, Colossus turns metal. He doesn't like shoot fireballs or have an energy signature that it, like Gambit's going to be able to eyeball from uh, 30 feet away on a basketball court. So very, very strange. Um, but you're, you're, you're nailing it there, Zach. Like this is clearly just an issue to clear the table and get ready for, uh, you know, the next new thing that X-Men's got going on, but it really, it doesn't do any service to whatever, you know, the writers had intended the legacy virus to, to, you know, take care of, um, you know, at least with Mpox, we only got it for a very short period of time. And the IVX story wraps that up very neatly um, with a giant vacuum cleaner. This, you know, took eight solid years of sort of teasing around the idea that this was a metaphor for AIDS. And then, you know, it's it's wiped away without any real, you know, significance. Or, you know, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel earned in any respect. Yeah, it was a it was a decent amount of hand wavy mumbo jumbo. Now, to its credit, I do think that, you know, the the very last, you know, Colossus death page echoing his words in Giant Size X-Men. I think that works. Oh, I liked that a lot. I just hated that they had to have the editor's note that it was from Giant Size. I was like, Come oh, on. that's so dumb. Trust like, the fans. I Trust the fans. <laughs> like, we know what that is. I understand that, like, we weren't <laughs> living in the reprint era of comics. But here's the situation there. Best case scenario, someone thinks Scott Lobdell's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Worst case scenario, nothing. Yeah. Like, what do you lose? Is, what do you lose? It's it's literally the like the scary movie thing of see, look, we're referencing this thing over here. Don't you get it? It's I love editor's notes. I think that there is a lack of editor's notes in comics and someone needs to resolve that agreed oh for sure that said this is a bad editor's note yeah um just a quick aside i just read chip zadarsky's uh spider-man annual that just came out and there's a lot of editor's notes i think he's just writing them but they're really funny oh yeah. chips 
Chipper, he has been doing some excellent editor's notes in like all of his work. Yeah. He loves them and I love him for it. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think we could see the value of a Wolverine slam dunk. I think we all agree that this uh, hand wavy cure doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So where would it go on the list? Let's see. Uh, If I'm going to throw out an idea, I think this is better than IVX. Mm -hmm. But looking up this list, I don't know how much better it is. Like IVX is at 114 right now. Yeah. this isn't as good as the very first issue of X-Men at 96. No, it definitely isn't. Um, it's not as good as the house party issue of X-Men Evolution at 98. I'll say that. I think the Quanin stuff is more fun. Um, I, mm, da, 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 da. It, I think it's strangely comparable with like the new X-Men Academy X stuff. Like it, it, it's not that it's technically improficient. It just, it feels strangely empty when it shouldn't, you know, like I feel like this should have more weight to it. So I, mm, I don't know. I'm looking around 100, which is storm storm volume four, number three. Oh, is that the uh, life life three. death three? Yes. 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 Or I guess it had a, I guess it had a different title, but that's basically it did, it but who cares what it was. Yeah. We did a show about life, death one and two. And we, we, uh, threw that one on his life death three. I think I remember um, that episode. Yeah. So what do you think, Zach? Is that like maybe a, or does, or do you think it goes lower? I mean, I think life death three is better than this. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the, I think, I think Wolverine fighting poachers is better than this that we talked about okay. last episode. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I would put it below expose though. That's the trick. Cause I think it's yeah. right there. Okay. Uncanny X or extreme X-Men expose. I got to get that triple X up in here. Uh, <laughs> but extreme X-Men expose is. It's worse. Even, yeah. even if it's got our favorite NPR team, it's worse. <laughs> so I think that drops this in as our new 104 on this list. Great. Of uncanny X-Men 390. Uh, yeah, the death of Colossus, the cure, the everything. Nice. And that is, that's it. That is three stories all about a lot of stuff. And whoa, we we said some things. I am very <laughs> out of fear at this point, which is fair. We've been recording this episode for like 50 yeah. minutes by now. So, I mean, come on, guys. Uh, but it was good. Uh, Brett, it was great uh, having you. Now, would you like to tell people where they can find you online and what you uh, what you're up to? Yeah, sure. That would be great. Um, so it was mentioned earlier that I am the co-host of the Renegades Talking Valiant podcast. If you are interested in listening to that, you can either look it up on your favorite podcasting platform, be that iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Or you can go to TalkingComicBooks.com. Click on their little podcast button and you can go listen to us. Uh, We have done 93 episodes. uh, So there's plenty of stuff for you to listen to if you're interested. And yeah, usually what we do is we talk about Valiant Comics uh, news and the latest Valiant Comics, including great series like uh, Bloodshot Salvation, which is written by Jeff Lemire, who we talked about on this episode. So yeah, um, if you want to check it out, please do. And uh, yeah, I was glad to be on the show today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, being here. 
Uh, now, if you liked this, uh, what's this thing called? This podcast, this episode, uh, and you want an entire episode crafted around one of your thoughts, you can mosey on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. And if you pitch in at the $2 a month or higher level, we'll just, we'll just bespoke design this beautiful episode around one of your stories. And if you do that, you can make us suffer like <laughs> Brent did. So that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. I like that people are using their money. Hey, hey, look at it this way. At least you got IVX out of the way. You never have to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say that, but do you know how many tie-ins there were? We're going to have to talk about that time that uh, Iceman and Romeo made out during IVX, and it was just kind of like weird timing. We're going to have to talk about – I forget some of the other tie-ins. Frankly, I do. I don't remember. There was a lot – Forge and Wolverine went on a uh, dune buggy race and what? Oh yeah. Did you not know about that? <laughs> I definitely didn't read that tie in. Yeah, it was super good. Uh, Andrea Sorrentino did some of the art on that one. If I recall right, it looked great. Oh, no kidding. Andrea Sorrentino is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was real good. They flashed over to the old man Logan world. A lot of fun. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I actually might have to track that down. Yeah. It's on that app. I forget exactly where. I think it's number eighteen. That sounds right. Reg- of, yeah. of which of which series? Extraordinary. Of Extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I have lost my train of thought. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can do the Patreon thing. It's pretty cool. Or leave a review if you want. Like, if you're already listening to this somehow, go over to the review section and be like. Hey, this is a cool podcast. Or hey, that one host is getting distracted way too much. Maybe he should stop that crap. Whatever you <laughs> feel the need to do, just go on and do that. Uh, and then if you want to follow the show, you can go over to uh, XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the latest in X-Men news and character write-ups and podcast episodes and things like that. So maybe go check that out. And finally, you can follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles. Adam. Where can people find a you online? All right, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, if you'd like a copy of the search for Bishon Jubes, not too late to head over to adamrec.bigcartel.com for $1. I'll print it and mail it to you if you live within the United States. If you don't, just DM me. We could probably figure something out. Um, and I'm starting work uh, behind the scenes on the fourth issue. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I'm very excited because Bishon Jubes. Cool. <laughs> It, it it feels i have a lot of feelings about that story. oh one one thing i forgot so that's I, good. I forgot to mention you can also if you're interested check out my website slash blog which is brettcomics.com very easy to remember and that's brett with two t's and we cool. will uh, we'll toss that in the episode notes uh, along with a link to the talking renegade <laughs> talking valiant the renegades only the opposite way that those words go in that hey order. it's it's uh, it's so, all good our podcast has been called every variation of that. Renick talk about time go force. <laughs> I forget what their oh, team is. Harbinger. The, the no, Harbinger team is the thing. Renegades. That's that's where the the name of the podcast came from. See, look at that. <laughs> I have so much Valiant on my like OneDrive that I got from a humble bundle that I've never read, and it just has somehow seeped into my brain. So we got that covered. Anyway, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!